No, 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 no. Don't take it off. Don't take. Leave it on. Leave it. Yeah, that's it. Little more Mother Tuck podcast. This is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble from Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor of Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy Gene Hoagland. Hey, this is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. Hey, Hi, yeah, okay, so hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. <laughs> this is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Christie from the band Charred Walls of the Damned on Metal Blade Records. And you are listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, pay attention. This is Joe Stump. You're listening to Mars Attacks Podcast. Attacks podcast. Here is your host, Victor. So say we all. Just watched that Portlandia episode with the Battlestar Galactica theme there, so I had to use that this time around. Welcome, one and all, to episode 71 of the Mars Attacks podcast as that. Adama impersonator said, if you like the impersonation, I'm your host, Victor, and here we are with episode 71 of the Mars Attacks podcast. This time around, we have Joe Stump. This is an interview that I recorded back in September, yeah, quite a few months ago, and we're finally getting around to posting this online, and as I've mentioned in the past... Stepped away there for a little bit and just trying to get out some quality episodes now to get 
uh, people back interested in the podcast. No, we are not dead. We've put out some pretty cool episodes these last few weeks. A very interesting episode with George Lynch regarding his Shadow Train uh, documentary. Didn't pull any punches with that. There are some questions that I sort of went out of my way to, to ask. I didn't want to focus solely on you know, his playing and whatnot. There are so many other uh, episodes out there, podcasts, radio shows, what have you, interviews, where they already ask him about that. So I sort of did want to ask him some, you know, questions that weren't too loaded. And I think uh, I think the episode came out pretty cool. Go back and listen to that. Also, go back and listen to our classic albums column. The last um, classic album featured was Slayer Seasons in the Abyss. This month we'll have something. Um, some people would consider it possibly the greatest hard rock album of hmm. I don't know the last twenty five years, the last thirty years. Some people are going to disagree with that, but uh, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting for most people. And uh, what we want you to do in the meantime is let people know that another episode of this Classic Albums column is coming up. Help spread the word. Um, Help go to iTunes and leave us a review. Good, bad, or indifferent. If you think the show sucks, that's fine. If you think it's cool, great. You know, we love to hear what you think. Um, You know, this only helps promote the podcast If you're able to, you know, add these various uh, comments, it helps, you know, that the podcast becomes perhaps one of the featured uh, podcasts. Trying to cut back on the ums there, listening back to the episode I just did of Talking Metal with Mark Striegel. Always love talking to Mark, lots of fun. Unfortunately, listening back, man, I just kick myself with all the ums. This Joe Stump episode, for some reason, I guess... I updated my recording software, and everything is done in mono, so I polished it up a little bit, but, uh, you know, it wasn't too bad, but there are other episodes where, you know, you're just not on your game, and it's just, um, mania, you know, just ums, uhs, this, that, and the other thing, and, you know, I, I try to consciously you know, fix those things or try to correct my voice before saying them, but sometimes you're just going with things and and um just sort of comes out. So it's also difficult because in Spanish, especially the region of Spain where I'm in, there's a tendency to throw ums in there with how you speak. So, you know, I sort of have to, I don't know, like deprogram myself to do this, which is sort of dumb because obviously being born in the States, but whatever. You know, you get caught into tendencies. Anyway, outside of leaving your comments on iTunes, feel free to drop us a line via email. Input at MarsAttacksRadio.com Also, remember that we have a Facebook account. We have a Facebook page. It is Facebook.com forward slash MarsAttacksRadio. The Twitter Mars Aries 2005. There's also a Google Plus page dedicated to Mars Attacks Radio. There's a bunch of others. There's MySpace. There's 
a few others that are less known. In any event, if there's any confusion, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. Right there on the homepage, you will find on the right-hand side a column that has all the various uh, social media sites that we're associated to, or not associated to, that we have accounts with that you can check out, sign up, comment, all that good stuff. So, um, what else? Also, remember that while you're on iTunes, subscribe if you want. A lot of people love to subscribe and just have a new episode downloaded onto their computer, their iPhone, their iPad. Some people, like me, still use iPods. Love the iPod. Have the iPod in my car all the time. So, actually, uh, had Spotify there for a little bit keeps jamming up on me for some reason and actually uh I actually unsubscribed to Spotify. I think it's a great service, but my original intention was to use it on the road and not have to you know sort of carry everything under the sun. I have found an alternative which actually allows me to access my um uh my audio files from pretty much anywhere. So that's that's cool. Anyway, Moving forward, this episode is with Joe Stump. Our good friend Dave Reffitt helped us get Joe and do this episode. So what we're going to do is, why not? We'll plug some of Dave's work. He's working on some new stuff. Um, He mentions it on Facebook all the time. He just did a solo with Michael Angelo Batio. And we're going to go back to his Shredding the Envelope um, album. There's the good old um again. And let's see, what are we going to play from Dave Reffitt? Um, let's play, the, well, this track, since since we already mentioned George Lynch, this track features George. Check it out, this is Dave Reffitt coming off of Shredding the Envelope. No. Not off of Shredding the Envelope. The project was originally called Shredding the Envelope. The album is called The Call of the Flame. Check it out on iTunes. It's there. In any event, name of the track is Carnival of Cannibals.
Dave Reffitt, Caravan of Cannibals. Up next, this is someone that I discovered way back when, late 80s. His band was chock full of, um, at the time, maybe not considered a supergroup or all-star lineup, but shortly after you had Pat Torpy go to Mr. Big, you had Graham Bonnet, who obviously had reached uh, you know, the pinnacle of his career, probably at the start with Rainbow, later on appearing with Alcatraz. And he's done a bunch of other stuff over the years with Michael Shanker, for example. But uh, this is Impelitary. The name of the album is System X, came out in 2002. He's better known overseas in Japan. And the name of this track is She's a Nighttime Lover by Impelitary. <laughs> Give your body to any man to pay the bills on time. 
little impellitary with she's a nighttime lover moving forward you'll find out that during this episode with joe stump he's more than happy to talk about his love for richie blackmore and all things richie blackmore um here's a spanish guitarist his name is javier vargas uh, if you keep up with carmine apice or paul shortino on facebook You'll find out that both have toured throughout Spain and parts of Europe with Javier Vargas. Uh, He put out an album called, or actually they put out an album called Vargas, Bogart, and Apice featuring Paul Shortino. This is a Deep Purple track that everyone and their mother has covered, but still cool nonetheless. This is Black Knight by Vargas, Bogart, and Apice. Wait a second, that would be Vinny. Carmine Apice, Vargas, Bogart, and Apice.
let's keep things in Spain. Here's another guitarist that has a considerable amount of notoriety here in Spain. Played with a group called Mago de Oz, which translated to English is Wizard of Oz. Who? Um, depends on who you speak to. The band is either the greatest thing since sliced bread or a joke. <laughs> They're... Uh, uh, they've opened up for Maiden and this and that, but, I mean, there's video footage of them playing live where the drummer isn't even moving their feet, isn't moving his feet, and he's playing along to the song, and I don't know. There's all types of tomfoolery and shit associated to them, but whatever. One of the biggest bands in Spain. He was a guitarist in this band, and... um Part of the reason why I'm including him is part of the whole Berkeley connection. Uh, Dave Reffitt with Berkeley, Joe Stump with Berkeley, and this is Jorge Salan. This track is Mystic Highway. Um, I sort of have lost track of him uh, only because, I don't know, it was almost like a cliche thing for him to do to, to put out an album in Spanish. I mean, that sort of sounds dumb if you're not from here, but um, you sort of have to stick to your guns. And I think the material that he's done when he switched over to Spanish is like a Spanish cheap version of Nickelback. And that's just my opinion. If, if anyone listens to it and enjoys it, you know, more power to them. There are certain things that Nickelback has put out that I have no problem saying that I enjoy, but whatever. Um, this is Jorge Salan, and the name of this track is Mystic Highway. <laughs>
Salon with Mystic Highway. Let's get into a little Joe Stump music before getting into the interview with Joe Stump. Again, this was recorded back in September of 2012. And it's being brought to you now in April of 2013. Let's get into the track in the Master's House. Thank you. 
Red Lord is actually your ninth solo album. Uh, your first album came out roughly 20 years ago. Has your inspiration changed when it comes to composing music? Um, I mean, I've always liked um, a lot of the same core. Um, you know, like a lot of my heroes have remained constant, whether it's Blackmore and Ingve, uh, uh, of course, and Richie Blackmore, Uli John Roth, um, Michael Schenker. Um, on this on this record, there's not on Virtuosa Vendetta. There was some retro kind of Hendrixy things because I'm a big Jimmy fanatic, but um, but nothing. Right. This record was all straight up metal, and um, and and and, and uh, as well as classical music, and plus um, and I lo- always love all kinds of metal, whether it's Merciful Fate, Accept, King Diamond, Priest, um, Arch Enemy. You know, I, you know, uh, um, right. As well as European power metal, so my influences have been pretty constant throughout my entire career. I just like to, you know, with each record, you try to step it up a notch, and you know, everything develops. You know, songwriting. Not that I didn't write some cool tunes like earlier in my career, but you know, you you try to get get make everything better. Production value, you know, playing tones, um, you know, all aspects of the record. Okay, cool. And that's interesting that you bring uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix up because obviously um, he's not known maybe as much for his technique as maybe someone like Inveyor or Blackmore is known for their technique. He's maybe known more as a feeling type player. And it was interesting, not too long ago, I heard a, a tidbit where they actually said or they, they had a trivia question. Out of these two guitarists, out of Alan Holsworth and Jimi Hendrix, which one of the two actually studied music theory and which one actually had no uh, theory behind them at all? Would you, do you know the actual answer to that? I do not. Hendrix is the one that actually studied music theory and supposedly was technically proficient but chose to play with feeling and Alan Holsworth actually is self-taught and apparently has never taken any lessons in his life. That's what they said in the... Uh, uh, the show I was listening to. Well, it's, it's you know it's entirely possible. You know, a lot of people painted Hendrix as you know, or or a lot of people that don't know much about him um, just thought he was like some wild man that liked to um, you know that liked to do drugs and you know and play psychedelic music. Where he was you know very focused and he was almost kind of like a guitar nerd to a, to a certain extent and he was very meticulous about you know the way he recorded and and you know the way he planned out things and you know he was a extremely you know you know granted he was still you know he was still playing his ass off and jamming and writing tunes and banging chicks two at a time but i mean he was, <laughs> uh, you know he managed to get it all in you know right okay and um with Revenge of the Shredlord, did you purposely try to do something different this time around from, say, any of your previous albums? Um, no, I wouldn't say no. You know, this record's a bit more like Virtuosic Vendetta was a bit more of a diverse kind of record where you had, you know, you had the, um, the Blackmore and Ingve-inspired things um, along with... Um, you know, on Virtuosic Vendetta, I had like some things that were like kind of Hendrix and Frank Marino tinged. I had a ballad that was like a, you know, real Gary Moorish type of thing. And so, right. You know, 
so that and then I had you know also like I had some some Hendrix slash Uli John Roth kind of vibe stuff on um on on the Vendetta like but like tapping into Uli's kind of Hendrixy side um, right where on on uh virtu- at where on Revenge of the Shred Lord it's all like straight up balls out metal you know the record's like very dark sounding a lot of the stuff is um you know very you know very classical. And a lot of the tunes are kind of, you know, evil sounding, and mm-hmm. and and there's no kind of, you know, granted, I, granted, I'm playing some some really nice um, vibe and feeling things, especially like you know in the master's house and some of the ballad stuff, some of the slower things, but it's but it's a uh, it's it's a it's a bit less, um, you know, there's very and then I, I have a few retro at moments where you have the Black Knight's Castle, which is obviously. You know another Blackmore style piece, uh, right? Where I, where I got some retro stuff happening, but a lot of it's um, a lot of it's heavy, you know, and you know it, a lot of it's heavy, um, channeling ch- several schools of metal and just you know balls out shred and technical playing. Oh, and you know, but at the same time, there's you know there's of course it's not just technique, there's riffs and melodies and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Okay. Um. How long did it take you to compose all the material that's featured on the album? Um, that's kind of hard to say. Like I'm always, I, I'm always kind of writing stuff. So I'll be compo- I'll be writing something, and then you know, I'll be playing and practicing, and 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 all of a sudden something will come to me. So sometimes, uh, some things, I might have like something like um that like the the tune Pistoleros on the record, I had. I had the I had sections of it, but then all of a sudden I I'd have a section of a tune laying around for a while, and then all of a sudden I play some I play something or compose something that marries perfectly to another section of that tune, and maybe right. I didn't so so there's a lot of times it's like that I might have something where um where it it could be a riff it could be melody it could be um it. It could be um, some kind of technical, kind of classical-sounding guitar bit, that's, and then it makes its way into something and marries to something else. So, so, sure. so I think in the, that record was uh, on and off. Like you know, um, I'm trying to think because I played quite a bit of, sh- you know, did a decent amount of touring for Virtuosic Vendetta. You know, played quite a few shows in support of it. So, but a lot. So I'd say, you know, maybe a year, maybe a, a year and a half I was, like, putting the stuff together, but not, like, working every day on it because I also wrote a bunch of you know, a bunch of material for the, the the Next Holy Hell record. Plus, I'm always writing stuff, at it, you know, anyway, so I might have something that's not going to be on one of my solo. I had a power metal band, The Rate of Terror, for a while, so, I, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a bunch of material that's... Um, that a bunch of vocal material, that metal material that I can use for another Reign of Terror record. So I'm always putting stuff together. Now I now okay. I finished, you know, I got this this new record out plus finished work on the Holy Hell record. So I'm kind of hanging back on composing stuff. Now it's just um, time for live playing. Okay. And how do you determine, you know, what goes to Reign of Terror, Holy Hell, or just stays on one of your solo albums? Um. Well. Well. The um the Reign of Terror the Holy Hell stuff I might have something that could fit on a Reign of Terror record 
Yeah, I haven't done a Reign of Terror record in, in a number of years, but but not right. that I might I might not do 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 another one and revisit that whole thing again, depending on what's going on solo wise and Holy Hell wise. Um, but but a lot of times I might have something that you know that could be either. It could be um, it could be something that could use in Holy Hell, or it could be something I could use in the Reign of Terror. Sometimes I might have something that's very specific um, sounding to Holy Hell. And then other times, uh, as far as my instrumental stuff, that's that's that I kind of keep separate for the most part, you know, okay. because I have a different approach when I'm writing an instrumental as opposed to a vocal tune. Even though, like form-wise and content-wise, a lot of the stuff on some of my instrumentals could easily be in a vocal tune. So, so so it's it's there's no like specific answer to answer to that. I guess I guess. <laughs> okay. With uh, Revenge of the Shred Lord, you produce the album. Is it harder for you to be objective and produce your own music, or is it more difficult to have someone come in and produce your material for you? Well, on my on my solo records, um, I'm fairly distinct about what I want, and it's my thing. Where it's different, um, it's different if I'm if I'm working in a band situation. Uh, even though like Reign of Terror was my thing, but uh, but but with my with my with my own record, I I have like a strong sense of like what I want it to sound like or or sonically, and of course like all the aspects of the music. Uh, granted, I let um, the guys that play on the record, um, you know, they don't really have input to the track, but I, I it's not like I'm dictating every single note they play, but right. but, uh, but for the most but of course like all the music and and all the direction on all the music is mine and everything. So, so it's, it, it'd be, it'd be interesting to work. And, and especially on like this type of guitar record, it's not, it's not like a, you know, a big budget production where I'm getting like somebody, you know, where, where I'm getting like, like an outside producer for it. So granted right. that, that would be an interesting thing and kind of cool if it was, you know, if the budget allowed, it'd be interesting to see what kind of, but, but, so, so I think it's more a common uh, a product of the fact that I know what I want, and um, and it's also just budget-wise, that's the way it shakes out as well. So maybe a combination okay. of those two things. Okay. If you had an unlimited budget, is there one specific producer that you'd love to work with? Um, it depends. It's different for. Like I'd have to get. Uh, granted, you have guys that that you know that are great, you know, engineers and producers. Whether it's um, Sasha Pyatt or Andy Sneap or you know, or or another guy that that I always really liked that made some of my favorite guitar records. But you know, this is an older name. Was Jeff, Jeff Glickson did the early Gary Moore records, recorded the Power Vixens in the Future, and he also did um, a couple Ingve things. So he he was also he was all always somebody that years ago got like a, you know, really got a great guitar sound all the time. And also right. worked with some of, and of, you know, so, so and, and then of course you had, you know, Martin, Martin, Martin. If I had an unlimited budget, it would be awesome to make, you know, to, to make my record at like, you know, where Blackmore used to record at Musicland in Munich, you know what I mean? And, and get like Martin, right. Birch, Martin Birch to engineer it and then, you know, tell me Blackmore <laughs> stories the whole time and then be able to drink, you know, Bavarian beer like all, you know, after I was done <laughs> tracking each day, you know? 
or like one of those studios where there's a brothel next door or something. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you know that 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 would be my you know, now like just about everybody met you know granted or or you know, and then and then after I was done tracking in Munich, you know I, I you know I I go back home to New York City and mix the record record at the Hendrix Room, the Electric Lady, you know. Right. That, that would definitely be cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. That does that does sound like a lot of fun. Exactly. But but unfortunately, it's it's you know everybody kind of makes records very similar now, where they do a lot of the tracking, um, you know, privately, and then and then go into a place to mix or go into a place to track drums or different things like that. Right. So you know. Yep. So, but that that other way would be much cooler. <laughs> Absolutely, you definitely have uh, plenty of stories to um, to share with everyone. Yeah. How long did it take you to actually record the album? Um, not not very long. Like I recorded the bulk of the guitars um, during a period of time where I was where I had like a I, I most of the guitars were done were done actually the, I I had finished the record. Um, the record has been done since like it got mastered back in January of this year. Huh, okay. Uh, yeah, it got mastered back in January of this year. What are we in September now? So yeah. So and, so and Lion, Lion didn't have a release date until July. Um, after hmm. I gave him the record in January, because it's a small label, they only put out you know one or two releases a month or whatever. Right. So, so originally they were going to release it in July, and then, and then they told me, well, you know, why don't we hang back until August? It's a better month or whatever, or, or the ass end of August. So I was like, okay, cool, no problem. And I, I actually recorded the bulk of the guitars. I want to say, not the summer that just passed, of course, because the record's been done, but the summer beforehand, I had recorded it, uh, most of it in, um, in like June slash July, you know, the ass end of May into like most of June and early July. Uh, right. But I, was, but I recorded all the guitars at, at home, mm-hmm. at, you know, at, at, at my own place. And it was the kind of thing where, where um, I mean, a lot a lot of times if I'm not touring or not uh, not working over at Berkeley, um and a lot of times, you know, my work days are very similar where I just, you know, get up, hang, you know, start to, and then I start to do some playing, maybe some writing or whatever. Um, right. And, and so it was pretty much like that. I just, I just would go into, go into the workroom and then, um, and then I track things. I wouldn't track, I, and maybe I'd work in there for like six or seven hours, um, maybe less some days. And some days if I wasn't feeling inspired, um, I didn't track at all. So that's one thing right. nice about recording all the guitars at home. If I'm if I'm feeling it, then then great. If if not, you just let it go and you know, and and go back another time. So right. uh, So so a lot of it was done like over over the course of of a few months, but but not guitar wise. And then the bass and drums were done. The bass, drums, and keys were added like later on. But the whole thing, the the, the actual tracking process wasn't very long. You know, it's not like okay. it holds up for like months and months tracking and stuff. Right. Okay. So it's definitely one of the uh, uh, biggest differences from when you started out to you know what you're able to do nowadays. 
Oh yeah, like as as far as um as far as yeah, well my old records were made in um like my earlier re- record like Supersonic Shred Machine and and uh, and and Night of Living Shred and whatnot. Those were all made on also those those were records were made on two inch tape. You know they were made on like <laughs> you know like the back. You know I remember budget wise. You know when you made a record you have to you know like there'd be you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars just in tape costs. Right, and it was also a uh, an entirely uh, different process. It was much longer uh, as well. You couldn't obviously do the same types of edits that you can nowadays. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, you'd have to hang and rewind, and you know, just the rewind portion of tracking, and and that, and the the other thing is back then, if you played a, um, especially on a smaller budget record, if you played a killer solo, and then you had one part of the solo where, you know, it just wasn't quite the way you liked it, you know, not like a full-on mistake, but maybe something wasn't quite as tidy as you would like, or didn't quite come out the way you like, like, you know, you'd have to risk trashing the whole killer take to try to <laughs> fix that, you know what I mean? Or right. you'd, or you'd have to just try to re- recreate it again and play it. So there was something to be said for that kind of stuff because because there was a you know you really had to be in the moment to capture something. Where, where, and I and I still like I, I don't sit there and like and paste and punch things together. I usually you know like like most um, most players will do now is is I'll take a pass where um where I get you know I get ninety-five percent of it, and then just go back and tidy up a few small things, which is pretty much what, or what anybody that can play does in this day and age. Right. Do you think that's the biggest, um, I guess, game changer, for, for lack of a better term, that's come along in the last twenty years, is the ability to, you know, record pretty much just on a computer? Um, well, well, you know that that makes things much more cost effective. Plus, it makes things a lot easier for um, for players that can't play because they can assemble just about anything in this day and, <laughs> age, day and age. So you know, you could you could certainly be a bum and make a great record. You know, right? Um, uh, so, so, you know, of course, you'd have to get it together to be able to play all the stuff once um once the record was released. But uh, so so there, there's 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 so many there's you know tons of different um. Different ways things are different, and like and like anything, some for the some for the good, some for the not so good. Right. Is there any piece of gear per se um, that you think has really changed things up in the last twenty years? Um, for me, for me, it's not. Um, it's for me like not much has changed recording guitar. I granted, like like. There's various like plugins and um, and you know various direct recording devices and amp simulation and everything, but I don't really use. Uh, I'm very old school where where you know like 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 putting a 57 you know ang- angled into a Marshall cap playing to a Marshall playing to a Marshall stack you know that 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 hasn't that hasn't changed and and still sounds the best to this day. Okay. So, so for me. <laughs> For, for yeah, for me, uh, I'm very old school. So so granted, there's all kinds of now, now a lot of the um a lot of the outboard gear uh, and things that studio that that 
used to only be available in like very high-end studios now can be done with plugins and various things like that right. um, to a certain extent but there's nothing that's um but but guitar wise things haven't really changed all that drastically for me okay. as, far, as far as my process i mean i still have you know all my marshals are from the 70s you know right and, and i've had a lot and i've been using a lot of the same gear for the last you know for the last 20 years mhm okay how does your gear differ uh, from your solo work to say, holy hell, is it exactly the same, or do you have to um, take different things with you on the road when playing with one as opposed to the other? Um, well, my 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 guitar sound, I wouldn't say is drastically different, but my my with with um with my solo thing, it's always just Strats and Marshalls. Um, okay. And and with holy hell, it's still it's still Strats and Marshalls. Strats and Marshalls. But but I'll incorporate like um I'll use some other things like on the Holy Hell record, um uh, you know, on the on the upcoming Holy Hell record I used a, um I I used an ESP um Shadow V, uh, you know with a humbucker in the back on a bunch of the rhythm guitar and in addition right. to, in, in addition to some of my old Marshalls I used a a Framus Cobra. Which is a really mm-hmm. cool, like heavy sat, you know, heavy. Which is which is a, you know a, a brutal. Um, a, I, I you know a bunch of players use it. I think the Demon Warrior guys use it. Stuff. It's a fairly brutal right. metal, metal amp for rhythm. So I mm-hmm. I I use that, and I have a couple couple custom made um, Demon Wing evil looking metal guitars that are, uh-huh. but they're they're basically just evil like metal strats. You know, just with with more of a of a shape of like a you know like a you know an ESP or a BC Rich or something like that. But um, right. But and and my and my tones with my solo the tone on the solos is, is the same, but my rhythm tone is a little bit heavier in Holy Hell. Okay. As far as uh, pickups and pedals are concerned, um, what type of pickups do you usually go for and as far as pedals are concerned, what pedals do you normally use? Oh, I pick up. I'm a Demarzio guy. I'm, you know, I have a Demarzio hookup, so uh, I've been endorsing them since though since like my first record. So, mm-hmm. it, so, so I, and I have like various Demarzios in, but most of my straps have the um, HS4, which is the old YJM pickup in the neck, and in the back I either have an HS3 or sometimes I'll have. Um, the fast track bridge, or sometimes I'll have um, the injector bridge, and in, in, you know, and okay. the, in, in the bridge. And as far as and amps, it's always Marshall. Marshall, there was only the only amp that I own that is not a Marshall is a, is a Richie Blackmore Angle. And of course, you know, <laughs> if they didn't make a Richie Blackmore Angle, uh, you know, of course, if, if Blackmore's name's attached to it, I must have it. Uh, <laughs> so, so, and you know, that's a bad amp. Plus, it's a great a great sounding amp. And right. um, and pedal wise, I uh, pedal wise I use uh, you know I have some boss stuff I use on the floor like you know phase shifter and flanger and delay and um, and a Dunlap uh, Wah and Roto vibe. But as far as far as um, as far as like for overdrive boxes, I use the um, old DoD 250s and I use the um, the black. Um, YJM 308, Ingve DOD, and I also use 
these custom-built treble boosters made by this German company called BSM. And BSM, um, the guy, the guy, um, the German guy over there makes killer stuff, and it's uh, he's a huge Blackmore fanatic. So I have several Blackmore-inspired <laughs> treble boosters: the Fireball, the RPA Major, um, the RPA California. Um, so what I usually use is the DOD for like the balls-out metal stuff, and something that's a bit more retro and like harder rock-edged. I'll use the BSM stuff. So, so like on Black Knight's Castle on the new record, that's all the BSM. That, that, that's all the that's all the um, the BSM. Tr- or in Master's House is the BSM. We're on um, you know stuff like uh, Man Your Battle Stations or um, or Shredlord Sonata. That's the the, D- the DOD. Okay. Um. As far as your work as a professor, how does your work as a professor vary from your work as a regular everyday guitarist per se? Um, it really does. It, it, it really doesn't um, because I mean I'm a high tech shred and metal specialist at Berkeley uh, at Berkeley College of Music, and you know I've been here since since you know '93. Um, so next year will be my 20th year. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've been, and, and, you know, and just, like, um, playing and instructing the, um, you know, the the style I've been playing to a certain extent, and, Mm -hmm. and granted, there's curriculum and things that um, I'm responsible to make sure um, um, students know at varying levels, but for me, it's, it's a, it's a great, great job. I mean, you know, I, I I don't, the earliest I go into work is noon, and, uh. (laughs) And I, you know, and if I'm touring, I just take some time out, and you know, rearrange my schedule. So, um, so I'm able to do, I, you know, I'm able to hold down, um, you know, a killer steady gig plus still travel and make records and tour and all that. Granted, if I was like, uh, granted, uh, since I'm a smaller artist, it's not like I'm out on the road for like nine months of the year or whatever. Right. Um. You know, so so you know, with my somewhat modest touring schedule, uh, I um you know for me it's no problem balancing everything out. So so uh, okay. I, I yeah I, I'm fortunate enough that I managed to go out on the road plenty, but I'm not out there too much where I'm getting beat up. Gotcha. Okay. Who was the last new guitarist that um you were acquainted with either through their music or you met in person? Uh, that really caught your attention. Um, I get asked that question quite a bit, and I don't really, you know, it, like granted, <laughs> there's all kinds of great, great players. You know what I mean? There's all right. kinds of great metal players, and there's all kinds of um, newer players. But most of the time, when I'm listening to guitar, I'm listening to um, I'm li- I'm listening to one of my heroes, you know. So, so granted, okay. I'm I'm aware of, of of players that play great stuff, and 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 you know players in other metal bands, and 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 that kind of thing, and and you know uh, shred play, you know shred players that are um that are you know gaining more recognition or whatever. But um, but it's not like somebody that I'm like you know really listening to. If I'm going to listen to guitar, I'm going to you know I'm going to listen to Uli or Ingve or Blackmore or you know a lot of times. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so th- this next question, then I'm sure 
uh, your answer is going to be one of the names that you just mentioned, if not all of them. <laughs> uh, if you were able to put your own G3 tour together, money isn't an option. You can pick whoever you want. Who would you pick to play alongside you? Um, oh, to play with? Who would I love to play with? Oh, I mean, I would yeah. love... I, um, well, of course, it would be great to play with... Um, with like some of my heroes, you know, but right. like the, of course it would be great. To, and it, and, and it would be, but plus, you know, the other aspect of about, uh, of it wouldn't necessarily be the fact that, you know, I get to jam with them. It would be cool just because I could get to get to watch them play every night on the tour after I was done. Right. Cause obviously <laughs> I would be, I would be opening the show. You know what I mean? So, so, <laughs> right. so you know, so if I was on a G, you know, meaning if I was on a G3 with like, King Bay and Uli, you know, because Blackmore's doing the medieval thing, so it's not like he's going to reform Rainbow. You know, granted, right. if, I, if I was the opening act, you know, and, and you know, there was a reformation of Rainbow with Blackmore and Jill Lynn Turner as the headliner and Ingve was in the middle, that would be great, you know? But, uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I wouldn't even feel like playing every night. I'd just be like, all right, I'm ready for the show to start, you know? But, uh, <laughs> but, but and you know obviously with Dio and stuff, but 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 sadly you know Ronnie's gone and Cody Powell's gone and stuff. But um, but right. you know, no, but you know, or maybe something like maybe something like 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 Uli John Roth and Michael Shanker, or um, you know Ingve and Uli or Ingve and Michael Shanker. You know that would be great. Okay, and actually you sort of touched on my next question as well. If you could go back in time. And jam with any band, uh, any lineup. What band would that be? Oh, that oh, that's easy. I'd say either um, you know, you know, either the classic Rainbow lineup with um, with Bob Daisley and Cozy Powell and uh, you know, and and Ronnie James Dio, or or you know, or Deep or Deep Purple, um, you know, with uh, and either either you know, either the either the uh. Mark two or Mark three, you know what I mean? I'd be huh. I'd be cool. I'd be you know John John Lord and um and Ian Pace were in both, and then you'd have either you right. know Glenn Hughes or Roger Glover. So so you can't go wrong either way. Right, absolutely. And they're actually uh, rumoring that there may be a Mark three reunion of sorts. I don't. I'm not sure how they're going to pull that off without John Lord or Richie Blackmore, but it'll be interesting to see. Yes, no, that 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 well, that that's the thing. If it, it's uh, without, you know, of course, John Lloyd's gone, you know, so right. So that's pretty sad. But uh, but of course, if if they, you know, if they got Blackmore involved, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, that would be outstanding. But I don't think that's gonna. I I I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, I don't see that happening either. Yeah, he. I think at one point many years ago, before Cozy Powell died. He was close to agreeing to. Um, he was cl- cl- somewhat close, somewhat co- anyway, considering agreeing to uh, to a rainbow reunion with um, with Ronnie Dio and um, and Cozy. Hmm. Yeah, that that's the thing. I mean, if he didn't pull the trigger while Dio was around, I mean, I don't foresee you know him having any other real incentive to. Uh, to do it as much as we'd love to see him with say Jolyn Turner, or, you know, because Graham Bonnet isn't going to happen. But uh, you know, if if money was an issue or if there was any other 
any other thing out there to sort of give him, you know, the, the kick in the ass to do it, it would have been with Dio, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, plus the other thing is, is but, you know, in the same time, like, granted, I would love to see, um, for, you know, I everybody would love to see Blackmore strap it on again and, and really, get, you know, get to it. But, uh, but he's, you know, he's happy and, you know, I had, um, I, one thing that, that that I that I really respect the fact is he's been he's been you know he's made like so many records and and and, mm-hmm. and toured so much and then in the twilight of his career he decided he was going to um he was he was going to to start playing start playing a different type of music and like you know he like all the um finger style playing and all that kind of stuff that he did it's like almost like you know like like almost like learn a different instrument to a certain extent because you, you you know so 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 you really have to admire that as a musician that you know you're gonna you're gonna embark on something like that you know when you're you know when you're already in you know in your 60s right but what was gonna say? But, but but yeah, but 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 it's a shame. Like, like it, it, I tell everybody, this 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 is a cool Blackmore story. I was watching Blackmore's night one one night at like a theater, um, mm-hmm. and um, and there was this um, there was this there's this Asian guy there with his family, and so the concert's going on, and, and he's there with his wife and his kids. So so you know they're all sitting very quietly, and and um. And you know the show's going on, and towards the end, of, you know it's getting towards the end of the show. Of course, like everybody but 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 the 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 dad is is sleeping. The kids are sleeping, you know, on the seats, and the mom is kind of dozing off with the kids and everything. And and you know right. he's, he's very quietly watching the show. And then Blackmore straps on the strat, and this guy like gets on the top of his chair and starts screaming at the top of his lungs. Obviously, you know, uh, the dream of many people, I would imagine, to see him put that strat back on. Oh, yeah. Well, last time I saw Blackmore's Night, because, you know, since he's like, you know, one of my heroes, I try not to miss him, even though even though it's not the same. But but it's like back in the early days of Blackmore's Night, he played the strat a bit more. Right. And, you know, and like like where he would, play, he would put it on and he'd play, he'd play a bunch during the... Um, you know, he'd play a bunch in the middle of the show, and then he would play a bunch at the end of the show. He'd play a bunch at, um, at the end of the show as well. Right. And now it's the kind of thing where, where like, you know, he barely plays it at the end of the show. <laughs> and uh, he actually, um, is Street of Dreams the only um, Rainbow Deep Purple song he's covered with Blackmore's Night, or has he done more? I think that he did. Let's see. Well, like when I've seen him, I saw him do. Let's see. He did 16th Century Greensleeves. You know, um, that was on. You know, like a full-on rock. You know, like a rock version. Um, that was on. He did a live album um, a while ago, and that's on the live record. So okay. There's, there's that he did. When I saw him in Chicago once, he played um, Ariel. Um, live, okay. and that was on like a DVD. 
and <laughs> then on one of the re- one of the past Blackmore's Nights records, he did a bit. He did a he, he segued like part of the Child in Time stuff into like one of the Blackmore's Night tunes. Right. Okay. And then you know when you see him play live, like like and then live, you know he normally does. Um, you know he uh, like I've seen him do Black Knight a few times. Uh, you hmm, know, okay. Smoke on the water and Black Knight. Okay. Cool. Uh, I mean, definitely those are two of his obviously bigger songs, but I mean, I'm sure it's just cool going to see you know one of those shows and seeing him pull out one of his, you know, staples. Yeah, no, well, it was cool, like, back in the, like I said, years ago, he would play, he would play a few things in the middle of the show, and then, you know, and then do a bunch of, a bunch of stuff on the encore. What would you consider to be your favorite Blackmore solo? Oh, the, oh I could go on for, like, you know, there's, there's <laughs> Blackmore Deep Purple, then Blackmore Rainbow, then, like, you know, black more bluesy as opposed to black more like dark and you know harmonic <laughs> minor, Hungarian minor. So, so, so you know that that's like a section I could like you know I could I I could give you a list of like all different ones that fit into and then then there's like like slower more ballad you know more vibe and ballad style things. So you know that's like a thing I could go on for like you know I could go on for like. Uh, like for like certain, you know, I could I could categorize it, put a list together, and you know. <laughs> well, how about this? What is the or what was the hardest Blackmar solo for you to learn? Um. Well. Well, I mean, like like different things that he does are deceptively tricky in different ways. You know, okay. I, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, uh, but but I mean, there's all kinds of great. Like if I was good, like some great Blackmore solos that I love, uh, you know, like like as far as like the dark minor stuff, like Gates of Babylon, is a great is a great solo. Like, like as far as uh, you know, like minor and more metal, like Light in the Black is a great solo. Um, you know, for the bluesy stuff. Um, you know, like Burns got like a combination of the two, and then you have like Demon's Eye, you know, which is a killer Blackmore bluesy or so, bluesy or tinge solo. There's all kinds of great stuff. I don't okay. know if like there's anything that was like insane technically where it was like, you know, it was like, oh my God, you know. But I mean, his playing right. for its time was extremely technical. Yeah. It's, it's almost a shame that a lot of people don't recognize that. You know, no. thirty years after the fact, you know, thirty, no, forty lot, years later. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You know, he isn't like he's a guitar legend and isn't. You know, especially in the states. You know what I mean? Like, like kids in the states, they they um they're pretty out of touch. They just think he's the old guy that wrote "Smoke on the Water." You know what I mean? Right, right. Anybody that really know, but but you know, he pioneered the way hard rock guitarists played. Right. Absolutely. When it comes to hard rock guitar and metal guitar, he, you know, he 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 helped write the book. Right, absolutely. I mean, without Blackmore's input, there wouldn't be, you know, thousands of guitarists that came after him. And you know, the obviously you know this better than anyone else. The the entire neoclassical style. I mean, no one would have, well, no one touched it before he even remotely touched it. And you know, just that just by taking that piece in itself 
and not even considering, you know, what a showman he was and what he could do on a strat as opposed to, you know, other, you know, Les Pauls maybe or whatnot. There are so many things that he did that no one else did before him. So, And plus he was like, you know, he was like ridiculously cool with the moves yeah. and the boots and the sacks, and the, you know, and the whole thing, you know. Yeah, it, it isn't um... – it obviously isn't what, you know, it has become in the last few years where someone is, you know, technically proficient and maybe they can play circles around you, but, you know, they definitely don't have that coolness aspect to them and it just isn't the same thing when you see them. Not to take anything away from their talent, you just don't have sort of that complete package. Yeah, like I, well, well, one thing I try to, you know, one thing that I say is, um, Granted, even though I play extremely technical, one thing that I really like about Blackmore, or or still strive to this day, is is you know he he plays technically, but he also you know he plays with like a lot of attitude and balls and you know that bulldozing kind of aggressive thing, and I try to you know like like I try to and you know with, with a badass like rock vibe and I and I try to capture that even when I'm playing technical things you know what I mean because so many right. like high tech players they don't have any kind of element like that you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. all it's all just fancy you know string skipping arpeggios or fancy or fan you know it's just fancy you know fancy fancy you know lick number 62 connected you know just sounds like a giant guitar <laughs> exercise as opposed to some badass rock you know it's got to have right. some balls and some rock and some attitude so that's something i try to you know a lot of people you know that when when you know you're known for the you know tech high tech stuff and shredding a lot of people don't realize that that's a huge side to my playing and then you know and they and they could hear something like black knight's castle or blackwood's boogie or in the master's house and then or fistful arrows and they're like oh i didn't know you know i didn't know right. stuff rock like that you know <laughs> right okay um if people want to keep up with what you're doing where should they go um, oh, you know, there's a Joe, there's a dot, Joe Stump dot com site, and there's a Joe Stump Facebook and a Joe Stump fan Facebook. Okay, so they should just go there. Uh, yeah, and, that, to find and that's out got all the, you know, yeah, like like you know, upcoming shows and you know, varying activities. Hey, pay attention. This is Joe Stump. You're listening to Martin Tack podcast.
mind to give you a ruddy good punch on the bottom unless you listen to Mars Attacks podcast. There you go. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Joe Stump. Check out his album, The Return of the Shred Lord. Want to thank Joe and want to thank Dave Reffitt for helping set everything up. That's pretty much it. We're going to leave you with another track off of The Return of the Shred Lord. We're going to go with the track Pistoleros, Pistoleros in Spanish. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks Podcast.
thank you for listening to the Mars Attack podcast. To keep up with the show or go back and check previous podcasts, go to MarsAttacksRadio.com or subscribe via iTunes. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash MarsAttacksRadio, on Twitter at MarsAttacks2005 and Google+. For more info, visit the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com.